Welcome to Zion Fellowship's Bible Wire. In these podcasts, we discuss what the Bible says, line upon line and precept upon precept. Today, George Ruder, that's me, will be continuing our study on the book of Jonah. Settle in for the next few minutes and learn more about who God is and how he loves. Welcome to the third of our six episodes in the book of Jonah. We're going to take a look at Jonah chapter 2 today. Um, If you're looking for a subtitle, this is called In the Belly of the Big Fish because that's where Jonah is for this chapter. Uh, At the end of chapter 1, because of the violent storm, Jonah got thrown into the sea and was swallowed by a big fish where he stayed three days and three nights. Both the book of Jonah and Jesus tell us so. So let's take a look at chapter 2. I'll read all 10 verses. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake the hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Let's talk about Jonah's prayer. See, you have to put yourself in the situation. Jonah is already running in the wrong direction, and he gets awakened from a nap to a stormy sea with a bunch of sailors who want to know what he did that put them in their predicament because they cast lots and he lost. And then he asks those sailors to throw him overboard. And then once he gets thrown overboard, there's this giant fish that swallows him. What does Jonah assume about the fish that swallows him? Does Jonah assume he has been judged? Does Jonah assume he has been rescued? Now that's an interesting question. Uh, Jonah knows that God is merciful. It's one of the reasons later in the letter that he gets so very mad at God. Uh, So counting on God's mercy and praying in the belly of the big fish Maybe it's not so out of order. Maybe Jonah doesn't assume he's being judged. Maybe, particularly since he is not instantly consumed. I mean, he wasn't swallowed by a shark. He was swallowed by some fish that either kept him alive or allowed him to be alive long enough to pray. Now, Jonah was in the belly of the big fish, For three days and three nights, the book of Jonah tells us so. Jesus reinforces that in the New Testament. 
Jonah had a lot of time to think and not much else to do. It's not like he brought his phone with him to play Minesweeper in the belly of the fish. Uh, there's not much else to do. He's just stuck in the belly of a fish uh, waiting to be, uh, shall we say, expelled in some way. So the verses that we have probably summarize the prayers that he prayed while inside. It's probably not that these are the exact verses and no more. It's probably a prayer that he prayed at some length and he summarizes in chapter 2. Uh, let's go back to verses 3 and 4. This is where he first comes to grips with his situation. For you cast me into the deep, verse 3, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight. Jonah comes to grips with his situation. This is perfectly normal. Uh, when we pray, it is perfectly normal and encouraged to acknowledge our personal situation. To say, God, this is where I am right now. This is what I'm feeling. These are the circumstances that I see. Uh, the Psalms are loaded with language like this, and these two verses speak of that. I'll quote Warren Wearsby, quote, When you turn your back on God, the only direction you can go is down, end quote. Uh, I'll also quote Charles Lee Feinberg, quote, he felt he was cast out from the special regard and care which God exercises over his own. Now he realized how dire a thing it is to be apart from the presence of the Lord, end quote. What a natural, normal thing to think. You're in a fish. There's only a couple of ways to exit a fish. You're in there for you don't know how long because there's no clock on the wall. So you might very well look at your circumstances and say, okay, God, these are the circumstances I'm in. What are we going to do about this? I'll also note that there's a fair amount of down talk in these verses. Uh, and things only turn around in verse 6, where Jonah thanks God for bringing him up from the pit. When you turn away from God and God leads you back, you are on the way up. But we should also recognize the heart of our Father. God is always looking to put you back on the right track. Uh, that's a thing to write down. Uh, not if you're driving. If you're driving, wait till you pull over or do a voice to text or have somebody else in the car write it down. God is always looking to put you back on the right track. God sent a fish to keep Jonah safe while he brought Jonah to the place he needed to be. God is always looking to put you back on the right track. It's on his timeline and in line with what's best for you. That's the heart of our Father, and we would do well to remember that. In verse 7, Jonah describes himself as being rescued, as his life was fading away. Uh, verse 7, when my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. This is not hyperbole. God delights in rescuing us. But we're really only rescued when we're in real danger. 
I mean, that's the hope of the gospel, right? We're only in need of a savior if we're in real danger without one. If Jesus is the best possible hope among a bunch of possible hopes, that's one thing. If Jesus is the only hope to save us from certain death, that's a completely different thing. Tim Keller puts it like this. The go- uh, quoting now, the gospel is this. We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Yet at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. End quote. That's the gospel. We are only rescued if we're in real danger. And the danger for us is that we're more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. But the hope of the gospel is that at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. Verse 8, Jonah does a bit of philosophy. Um, I'll reread. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. He does a little bit of philosophy. If you want to worship an idol, you lose your source of steadfast love. These vain idols, uh, the Greek literally, I'm sorry, the Hebrew literally says empty vanities. These vain idols take the place of God for us. But they lack the hesed, they lack the steadfast love that God gives to us. Remember, as we said in the first episode of this string, God is the star of the story. God's steadfast love is on display. And he will not settle for us receiving steadfast love from another. God wants our hearts, and he wants them completely. He does not settle. He will not share his glory with another. And he will not settle for us receiving steadfast love from anyone other than him. Doesn't matter who that other person is. Doesn't matter what that other idol is. If you're trying to receive steadfast love from another human instead of from God, if you're trying to receive steadfast love from your job instead of from God, if you're trying to receive steadfast love from any outside thing, God will not allow that to stand. He wants our hearts completely. So let's talk about the spitback. Right, the, the giant fish loogie that became Jonah. So, verse 10, Jonah gets spat out. He is a giant fish loogie. This is the mercy of God. And I'll say this, um, and you can go back. Uh, I preached the book of Jonah from the pulpit of Zion Fellowship in March of 2019. If our archives go back that far, it's worth taking a look. I said the following, mercy doesn't always look like what we think it does. God brings us mercy in many different ways. For Jonah, it looked like getting swallowed by a fish and spat out three days later. But if we pay attention to mercy when it comes, we can end up right where God wants us. The fish comes and swallows us up and we wonder if it's judgment. But then we think to ourselves, maybe, maybe this is mercy. And if it's mercy and we embrace that, 
we can end up right back where God wanted us in the first place. So Jonah is expelled from the fish. Now, where is Jonah expelled from the fish? Well, he's expelled on dry land. Probably the shore. And if you look at a map, no matter where he gets expelled, it is some 500 miles from where he's supposed to go. Nineveh was inland quite a ways, and the fish couldn't take Jonah inland. And so Jonah has to do what he didn't do the first time. He has to obey God and take steps to go to Nineveh. He's got to make a 500-mile trip. Maybe it was 550, maybe it was 600, who cares? He has to make this giant trip longer than Rochester to New York City, probably about Rochester to Washington, D.C. He's got to obey God. He's got to take steps to go to Nineveh. So I'll ask, how often does God bring us back to a big point of decision, a place where we made a wrong choice, a place where we chose not God? to see if we will make a better choice the second time through. How often does God's Ferris wheel swing us back around and say, how about now? Will we follow now? Will we obey now? Will we make the right choice now? This is the mercy of God. It teaches us to obey God. It teaches us to trust God. It teaches us to receive the hesed of God, his steadfast love, and to live as he directs. And that's my hope for us as a church body, that we would receive his steadfast love and live as he directs. Blessings as you take that truth into your prayer closet and as you live that out in the day-to-day. We have reached the end of today's Bible Wire podcast. If you'd like more information about our church, or if you'd like more resources related to this podcast, you can find us online at www.zionfellowship.net. We're also available on social media. Look for Zion Fellowship. Thank you for joining us today on Bible Wire.